for his glory. That's the title of the message. For his glory. How often do we say, I'm doing this for your glory, Lord? Or how often do you hear a fellow believer say, to God be the glory? Oswald Chambers is the author of a devotional book entitled, My Utmost for His Highest. And in one of the daily devotions, he explains what the title of his book means, which is, My Best for His Glory. I like that. My best for his glory. In other words, God's purpose in creating man was to glorify God, which, according to the Westminster Catechism, is the chief end of man, to glorify God. Now, since this is true, since the, the chief end of man is to glorify God, when the trials and tribulations come, when we are confronted with the predicaments of life, when we are overwhelmed with an absolutely impossible situation, we must accept God's purposes as the backdrop of our impossible situation. And that's the spiritual truth I want us to have this morning. That's the, the sermon in a nutshell. Believers accept God's purposes as the backdrop of their impossible situations. If you don't remember anything else, if you're ready to push the move button now and take an early afternoon nap, that's okay. As long as you remember, believers accept God's purposes as the backdrop of their impossible situations. And this truth is unfolded for us in the book of Exodus, chapter 14, along with several lessons for us to learn this afternoon. You have your Bibles, if you will. Turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 14, where we observe first the divine prediction, the divine Prediction, picking it up at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Verse 3 Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. What we have here is the divine prediction announced. The, the children of Israel have just left the Egyptian captivity with great joy. Pharaoh had been persuaded by God to let his people go through the death of the firstborn son, of every family, including Pharaoh's own son. So the Israelites, they are on their way to the promised land. But when Pharaoh heard that God had told the Israelites to turn back, verses 1 and 2, he assumed that the Israelites' divine help had run out. Pharaoh thought that the Israelites were, were helplessly trapped in a dead-end trail 
with the mighty Egyptian fortresses on one side and the scorching Egyptian desert on the other side and the mighty Red Sea in front of them. They were trapped. A number of years ago, my, my bride of now getting to be almost 45 years, we were taking three of our grandsons to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Two four-year-olds and a three-year-old. They called it vacation, but really it wasn't for us. <laughs> but on the way to, to Myrtle Beach, they were excited to get to Myrtle Beach. Now, when we arrived at Myrtle Beach, we were at a, a nice resort that had a swimming pool, actually two swimming pools, one inside and one outside. And so the first couple of days, we were going swimming in the pools. But my grandsons, they call me Papa Daddy, they said, Papa Daddy, when are we going to get to Myrtle Beach? You see, in the, in the minds of a three-year-old and a four-year-old, a beach meant the beach. They didn't understand that this was the city. But yet, there is a beach, so Diana and I, we decided we should take the boys to Myrtle Beach. And so down to the Atlantic Ocean, we went. And when we got to the beach, there was this gorgeous pier that went about 100 yards right out into the Atlantic Ocean. So before we allowed the boys to go swimming in the Atlantic Ocean, we decided we should go up on the pier and, and get this panoramic view. And so we did. Up the steps we went, and we started to walk. And when we got to about 30 or 40 yards on that pier, there was water in front of us, there was water on our right, and there was water on our left. There was only one way off of that pier, and that was to turn around and go back. Otherwise, we were literally trapped. This is exactly how Pharaoh saw the situation with Israel. They were trapped. They had only one way out, and that was to turn around and head back toward Egypt. Oh, Pharaoh felt like now he could make right the mistake that he had made. Look at verse 5 and see how the divine prediction is implemented. Verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. Verse 6, so he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly, verse 9. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped near Pi-Hahiroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. The Israelites were now in big trouble. The Red Sea was in front of them. The, the scorching desert was on one side, the mighty fortresses on the other side. And now, here comes Pharaoh and his boys from the back. 
Wouldn't you agree with me that they were in an impossible situation? And the reality is, God had done it all. He told Moses what to do. He freed the Israelites from the Egyptian captivity. He told them to turn around. He told them where the camp. He hardened Pharaoh's heart. God had done it all. The lesson for us is crystal clear. Our impossible situations are orchestrated by God. Or let me say it differently. Our God is in control of life's impossible situations. You all didn't say that like you meant it. It seems to me it ought to be good news to find out when we are in our impossible situations that our almighty God is in control. And the Old Testament saint, Job, he's an excellent example of how our God is in control of our impossible situations. You remember Job, don't you? You, you remember after having all of his wealth taken from him in one day. After having all ten of his children die in one day. After having his health taken from him to the extent that he had sores all over his body, from the top of his head to the ball of his feet. Sores so painful that he took little pieces of glass, little pieces of pottery, and tried to scrape it off. But in the midst of his trials and tribulations, Job declared, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. After dealing with a nagging wife who told him to curse God and die, after dealing with, with four obnoxious, critical friends who told him that all of his suffering was because of his sin, after 41 long chapters of suffering. In chapter 42, Job said with undisturbed confidence, Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can ever be thwarted. My brothers and sisters, Job came to understand that God is in control of life's impossible situations, and so must we. Our God is in control of life's impossible situations. The divine prediction, but there's also the divine plight. Let's pick up our text at verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out, to the Lord. The, the Israelites were afraid when they saw Pharaoh and all of his boys coming. And so they cried out to the Lord in deep despair, and rightly so. For whom else should we cry out to when we find ourselves in one of life's impossible situations? But, but notice that they immediately turned their anger and blaming toward Moses. Verse 11. <clears throat> They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. 
it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. <laughs> Doesn't this sound like the old I told you so scenario? Moses, what's up with you? What's your problem? We, we knew this deliverance from bondage stuff wasn't going to work. Why didn't you leave well enough alone? We're worse off now than when we were in Egypt. Although the Israelites were firing their complaints at Moses and blaming him, they failed to realize that to blame Moses was to blame God. They failed to realize that in essence, they were saying that they never should have trusted God. They were saying it was a mistake to trust God. And this speaks directly to another lesson for us to learn this afternoon, and that's this. Many times, our impossible situations suggest that we should not have trusted God. Let me say that again. Somebody didn't get it. Many times, our impossible situations suggest that we should not have trusted God. And I confess to you this morning that that was my tendency when our daughter, Keontae, suffered a stroke in 1994. At the time, she was 12 years old. And the stroke left her paralyzed on her left side unable to speak clearly, and she had been reduced to the cognitive abilities of a three or four year old. My wife and I, we had, we had prayed, and we were convinced that Keontae was to have this heart surgery. God had made that very clear to us. Specifically, he had even marvelously provided over $15,000 to cover the cost because our insurance didn't cover it. And the surgery was a complete success. But afterwards, a clot went from her heart to her brain, and she suffered a stroke. And there was, was daddy's baby, walking around like a zombie, slurred speech, drooling at the mouth, because she couldn't control her saliva. An honor roll student who now couldn't even write her name. Why did we trust God? We were better off if she hadn't had the surgery. We never should have trusted God. Whereas that was my tendency, my brothers and sisters. I did not succumb to that tendency, and neither should you. We should never doubt God. My brothers and sisters, if we don't doubt God, if we hang on in there, we will ultimately find out that God has a divine plan. Somebody say amen. amen. And let's look at, in, in Israel's case, the divine plan, the divine prediction, the divine plight, and now the divine plan. Picking it up at verse 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. 
The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Verse 17. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. Saints, our God has a divine plan for our impossible situations. And his part in the plan is to deliver us. His part in the plan is to divide, is to, is to give us a divine solution for our impossible situation. And our part in his plan, according to the text, is to not be afraid. That, that's what the text says, verse 1, uh, verse 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Another part of our, our part is to stand firm. That's immediately coming right afterwards. It says what? Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. We are to stand firm. We are to be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in our faith in the God of the impossible. Our part is also to be still. That's what the text says. I'm not making this up. Verse 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. We are to be still. We are to be patient and move ahead with confidence while waiting for the Lord's deliverance. After six days in the hospital from the heart surgery and suffering from the stroke, Keontae was discharged. And each day, she got better and better. We were not afraid. My wife had one of those come to Jesus moments and when she, by herself, talking to the Lord, said, Lord, if you want my child like this, then I'll accept. We stood firm in our faith. And her condition improved little by little by little by little. We were patient. And finally, without therapy of physical therapy of any kind, without taking any prescription medication, without anything other than the healing touch of God, Keontae recovered. She recovered to the extent that in May 2003, she graduated from Illinois State University with a Bachelor of Science degree in speech pathology and audiology. And by the way, she chose that field because of her own stroke. And in June of 2010, Keontae received her master's degree from Governor State University. Our God delivered her. 
Our brothers and sisters, when confronted with life's impossible situations, remember that our impossible situations have impossible solutions that come from the God of the impossible. Is anything too hard for God? Somebody didn't believe it, so I'm going to ask it again. Is anything too hard for God? Then let us learn well this lesson. Our impossible situations have impossible solutions that come from the God of the impossible. Isn't this exactly what our text teaches us? Verse 19, uh, Israel was hemmed in. They could see Pharaoh's army getting closer and closer. They were doomed. Or were they? Divine protection was just about to kick in. Notice the divine protection. Verse 19. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them. Verse 20. Coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. God's divine protection kept Israel safe. The lesson for us is very simple. Our God protects his own. That's a simple truth. Our God protects his own. On occasion when Diane and I are having our devotional time together and she'll pray, and she'll pray something like, and Lord, thank you today for protecting us from seen and unseen dangers. Saints, do you know every day there are dangers out there that we have been protected from that we didn't even know about? Our God protects his own. But that's not the end of the story. There was still the matter of this Red Sea. See in your mind's eye, if you will, Moses raising his staff and the Red Sea, the mighty Red Sea, saying this was no little pond. This was not a little lake. We're talking here the mighty Red Sea. He held forth his staff and the word of God tells us that the mighty Red Sea just parted. And water stood up on the left like a wall, and it stood up on the right like a wall. And according to the text, the Lord sent an east wind that blew all night long straight down the middle so that it was drying out the bottom of the sea. And once that work was done, see in your mind's eye the Israelites scuttling on a cross. Hallelujah. Can't you see some of those three or four-year-olds kind of punching the water to see if it's real? How about some of the teenagers reaching their hands through to try to grab a fish? They were on their way to the other side, walking on dry land, a wall of water on the left and a wall of water on the right. And just about now, as they were all over to the other side, remember now that pillar of cloud and the angel of God that had been protecting them, it moved. And now Pharaoh's army saw what was going on. And they said, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. And so they went in 
after the nation of Israel. And boy, oh boy, all of a sudden, the text tells us that God confused them. It was in the third watch, according to the text, which means sometimes between 2 o'clock in the morning and 6 o'clock in the morning. That God confused them, and the wheels on the chariots began to lock, fall off. They, they couldn't drive properly, and they, they realized they weren't dumbest. They said, you know what? God is fighting for them. We better get out of here. Too late. Because just about then, the text tells us as the sun was coming up, Moses raised forth his staff again. And the waters of the Red Sea returned to their place, killing all of Pharaoh's soldiers. That day our great God delivered the Israelites from their impossible situations. And he will do no less for you, for you, for you, for you, for you. Our impossible situations have impossible solutions that come from the God of the impossible. Solutions that are all a part of his divine plan. But the divine protection and the divine plan are not without a divine purpose. Let's look at the divine purpose. Go back to verse 4. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, but I will, what, gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Verse 17, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and what, I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army. Verse 18, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. The lesson here is unmistakable, saints. Our impossible situations are for God, for God's glory. Our impossible situations are for his glory glory. Some of you are familiar with the man who was born blind, John chapter 9. You remember what happened there, don't you? Jesus was walking along with the disciples one day when they encountered the man who had been born blind, and, and the disciples asked Jesus, said, Lord, what's the deal with this man? Is it because of his sin or his parents' sin that he was born blind? And Jesus said, whoa, wait a minute, guys. This has nothing to do with sin at all. This man was born blind so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. In other words, this man was born blind so that God could get the glory. Now let me ask you, did Jesus leave the blind man in his impossible situation? No. And maybe for some of you who don't remember the story, so let me remind you of what happened. Because the text would tell us that Jesus sped on the ground and he mixed it with some dirt and made what I call some mud eye patches, and he put it over the man's eye, told the man to go to the pool of Siloam and wash, and when he did, the man could see. His eyesight was restored. He delivered the man from his impossible situation so that God would be 
glorified. And saints, so will God deliver us from our impossible situations, or he'll give us the strength to get through our impossible situations so that he might be glorified. In either case, our impossible situations are for his glory. Whatever your impossible situation today, can you say, for your glory, Lord? Are you overwhelmed by what appears to be impossible odds? But yet, can you say, for your glory, Lord. Although you see absolutely no way out of your impossible situation, nevertheless, can you say, for your glory, Lord. Although you may only be delivered from your impossible situation by death, still, can you say, for your glory, Lord. Hear me clearly, my brothers and sisters. Accept God's purposes as the backdrop to your impossible situation. And remember that our impossible situations are for his glory.